When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Rolling Stone executive editor Nathan Brackett. Today we're going to talk about what happens when lead singers get replaced. It's a big question. We're also going to talk about the late Fife Dog from Tribe Called Quest. But first, we're going to talk about what we're listening to in the office. I'm here with Brittany Spanos. Hi. And John Dolan. How's it going? Going all right. We have kind of a, a broad mix of stuff today. Yes. <laughs> yes. Why don't we start with probably the biggest record that we're going to be talking about from uh, Zane yeah. from One Direction. <laughs> Brittany, I know that you're a Zane fan, I am. as am I. <laughs> I do love Zane. Favorite member of One Direction. And By far. This is a big moment for him. There's a lot writing on this solo record and him separating himself so dramatically from where One Direction was when he left, which is sort of like a Mumfordy folk band. And like now he really wants to be an R&B star and in the vein of Justin Timberlake and Nick Jonas before him. For sure. It, it, like, it's almost a cliche now that somebody leaves a boy band and they say, oh, this is the Justin Timberlake moment or they're trying to be Justin Timberlake. Yeah. But he actually seemed like someone who really could kind of pull it off. I yeah. mean, and this record... Definitely, there are echoes of Justin Timberlake in the sense that he left a huge pop band like Justin Timberlake did with NSYNC, and now mm-hmm. this is an actual kind of a great like soul record, yeah. or what I've heard from it. Yeah, this is definitely a really good reintroduction of him and a good basis or foundation for what's to come. He's working with a lot of really great producers like Malay, who worked with Frank Ocean, and there's like a lot of really great R&B moments on it. There's a couple of neo-soul moments, which was really shocking, and some Persian influence, and it's really cool and diverse and a pretty solid start. What's the song that you're liking the most from? I was really excited that Like I Would and Before were released before the album. and they Like are, I Would is my favorite, for yeah. sure. Like I Would's definitely the best example of the entire record as a whole. Yeah. And like, definitely the standout song. I mean, his voice sounds amazing. It's a really great beat. If we can never go back, don't you like to know? Almost like disco, almost yeah. like shades of disco, but like, not like too like yeah, EDM-y, like right, kitschy right. and like it's, a little bit retro without being retro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like a really playful, fun song. And again, like his voice was—I mean, that was a big thing when he left One Direction. Is his voice really carried a lot of their live concerts? I would say he was deaf for people who didn't catch the One Direction infection. I would say that Zayn was the best singer for yeah. sure. He was the talented. I mean, yeah, it was the irony absolutely. of the band, right, is they had this heartthrob who was actually kind of a likable figure in Harry Styles, but he was the singer. He was talented, and they, the way Zane they, was the singer. Zane yeah, was the singer, yeah. and, they, and they divvied up the sort of Maybe music. the Sporty Spice figure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. It's it's, and they, they would, you know, they did not have a lot of, like, you know, because it wasn't R&B. It wasn't, like, a lot of standout lead vocals. It mm-hmm. was, like, they divided it up pretty evenly. Like, you had to like right. the whole thing. And so he was obviously 
the one who seemed to like R&B more, and as they went more rock and more started to sound like, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash or whatever, he felt less in place. So this is really clearly a chance for him to sort of be himself. And it's the perfect moment for this kind of R&B. Like, it's very sort of often, you know, like you say, Frank Ocean and The Weeknd come up as influences. Like, it's kind of amazing for a guy who was just in a boy band to yeah. be making this music. I mean, it is very overtly sexual. It's also very, like like you say, sonically pretty experimental mm-hmm. and, and pretty surprising. And it kind of speaks to how wide open the moment of, of R&B is right now and, right. and, and sort of post-teen pop music right. is and right now. Right, like post-weekend, too. R&B yeah. is like, yeah. they're so, you can kind of do anything. It used yeah. to be, I mean, R&B used to be the most conservative genre because it had the most expectations in terms of sort of like the industry or whatever, but now it's kind of the most wide open. Right. It's like there are so many things that can happen. Um, and this record kind of reflects that even though it's, it is right. I mean, I think, you know, it was when Justin Timberlake was kind of making like, oh, wow, it's kind of throwback R&B. It's very right. different than what Instinct did. This is much more wide open than that. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't know if the songs are quite as good as like the great Justin Timberlake songs, yeah. but but it's, right. it's it's good music right. and, and he fits it well. He's he's a nuanced singer and, and Britney's review will go up on, on RS.com real soon. It's in the new issue of the magazine. And like she says, it's like he's able to experiment in ways vocally mm-hmm. and emotionally that were not available to someone like this. Maybe what, like, 10 years ago, five years ago. It's really unique. Yeah. Next, we're going to move on to probably, I don't, can't think of a group that could be more different from Zane. Well, like, <laughs> well, they, uh, the goon sacks. Yes, the goon sacks. <laughs> you know, Zane is, you know, he's 23. He's not a teenager anymore, but we can't all not be teenagers forever. They're a small, tiny, tiny indie pop trio from Brisbane, Australia. The sort of one connection to them, the one that makes them kind of interesting is the main guy in the band, the singer and the songwriter is Lewis Forrester. His father, um, is Robert Forrester. It's one of the singers and guitarists in the, in the amazing 80s jangle guitar pop band, The Go-Betweens, who were up there with R.E.M. and great some band. of these mm-hmm. bands as one of the really great bands of that time. Started off making sort of skeletal post-punk music. Their first single ever was about having a crush on a librarian. And over the years, <laughs> they developed into this articulate and intimate and brilliant sort of melodic and, and lyrical band in the mid-'80s. It's interesting. This record kind of picks up where the go-between sounded like in 1979 or 1980. Absolutely. It's really a, a catchy... I, I hear some of the go-betweens, and I definitely hear a little bit of kind of like the you know, beat happening, oh, absolutely. K-Records, totally. kind of Seattle, kind of ragged <laughs> 90s indie rock. Which is kind of having a, a bit of a revival it right is. now, too. It is. Yeah. It is. One of the songs that we've, there's one that starts off where he, it's called Target. I think it says something like, I never work at Target because I only have blue shirts. <laughs> All my shirts are blue. I can't work at Target. I just start thinking about you. It's stuff like that. I couldn't work at Target. The only color shirt I wear is blue. Couldn't work at Target. I'd stand around and think there was the one great song, this song called Home Haircuts, yeah. uh, which don't work out. But is he, there a more indie rock topic yeah, really, than like, Home look, Haircuts? Look, 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 we, really. We've all had them. It's just the way it goes. But it's like, you know, I go to this thing, I say, make it look like Roger McGuinn. Come on, you can do it, and the guy can never do it. And it's, it's a great, great song, and it's a great record. This is a home haircut of a record that works out right. Yeah, that's exactly true. It's well said. Yeah. Thank you. All right. The uh, last band we're going to talk about are the Last Shadow Puppets, side project of the great Arctic Monkeys singer Alex Turner. John, this song was one of your picks. 
It was. It's Alex Turner of the uh, Arctic Monkeys and his side project called The Last Shot of Puppets. The Arctic Monkeys started about started out about 10 years ago, kind of a hard-driving, hard-hitting guitar band from the UK. With a really, you know, like, great lyrics, great kind of, like, slice-of-life lyrics. Go and late at the pub, you're out, you're drunk, you're trying to find the bus home, you're, you're hitting <laughs> on someone that's not working out, you're and just they, making a fool of yourself. Like, you know, and I remember, you know, they were a British sensation at first that didn't quite cross over at the time. Like, people thought of them as, as uh, oh, this could be the next Strokes or this. But they've grown, like, with every album until now. I mean, they just sold out Madison Square Garden. Yeah, and they're, I like, think... a real rock, like, touchstone. Like, probably one of the biggest rock bands. And their, yeah. el- their sound has changed, and it, the lyrics have stayed the same topically, but their last record was 2013. It was called AM. He had moved out to L.A. They made it with Josh Homme of Queens of the Stone Age producing. And it was this kind of desert feeling, kind of the same topics, but kind of built out into a more um, slower and more rhythmic and more expansive kind of, it had that element of LA rock into it, sort of looking back um, decades. And, th- and this last shot of Puppets. Yeah, I, I definitely encourage anyone to check out AM from a couple of years ago. It's one of my favorite rock records from the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that was definitely a big crossover for the Arctic Monkeys when they were sort of becoming a lot bigger and now selling out for sure and, not, and now yeah. they really are you know, a lot of young fans <laughs> it wasn't yeah, also kind of an american sounding record but but anyway i guess in the space they got extremely big in england when they first started and in 2008 he formed this side project called last shadow puppets to do something completely different they put out a record now they put out another record which is definitely more steeped in this sort of big strings art pop kind of california sound maybe Beck and and uh, this is a true side project, like pretty different. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's Scott Walker. Yeah, Scott Walker's yeah, a touchdown. soundtrack music. Yeah, it's a completely different kind of thing, but the same topic. He's still like you know now the girls senorita, but it's still like uh, <laughs> still sort of the same sort of uh, lyrical themes and and sort of the stuff. music changes, but the senorita stay the yeah, same. Yeah, <laughs> exactly true. Um, and it's it's a you know a lush and very enjoyable art pop record, I guess. Aviation is the song that, right. that I've liked so far. Aviation in the evening. I love the strings on it. It's so hypnotic. And like, yeah, the lyrics are very kind of just like moonlight in your eyes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he, yeah, he even says Moonlight Drive. It's a Doors reference. It's like it's going full California. Yeah. Alex Turner is for sure one of the bigger romantics in, in yeah. rock and pop right now. He never learns. Yeah. He just will never learn. It's, it's like, you know, but that's what makes him charming. That's yeah. right. Well, John Dolan, Britney Spanos, thanks for coming. Thank, Thank you. you. Just a small town girl. And that was Arnell Pineda of Journey singing Don't Stop Believin'. The reason we're playing some live Journey today is that the topic is what happens when the lead singer of a band gets replaced. I'm here with Andy Green. Hi. And Brian Hyatt. Hello. Andy, this is probably one of the most profound things that can happen to a band. The lead singer gets replaced. You know, it's the head of the band gets cut off, you know, for whatever reason. Either they perish, they get fired for whatever reason. And then that's what we're, we're going to talk about, the bands that keep going, the bands that don't just end it after that. Arnel Pineda is probably the most interesting example recently of a band that kind of kept going with an unlikely lead singer. Right, yeah, it's a crazy story. He sort of saved Journey when Steve Perry left. He was Steve the voice Perry. He was the figurehead of the entire band. Steve and, Perry was the guy who sang yes. all the most famous songs, Don't yeah. Stop Believing, on Right, record. and he left the band in like 86 or something, and when they tried to reform, they had new singers, and they were playing state fairs and stuff. And then on their third attempt at a replacement, they were on YouTube and found a Filipino guy. 
that was playing bars in the Philippines but could sing in, just in like a, Steve Perry. In a Journey tribute band. Well, it was a band that played Journey songs and Survivor songs right. and Cheap Trick songs. A tribute songs. to the whole era. Yeah. He could have like, ended up singing for Survivor. It just right. happened yeah. that Journey found him first. Yeah, yeah. he has this lost. incredible yeah. voice, and they hired him, and that was in 2008. And since then, they've been playing to like 15,000 people per night. He saved the band. And it's an amazing story, right? I mean, they basically yeah. just, just parachuted him out of the Philippines, like, and onto a, almost an arena tour or a major tour. Right? Yeah, it was just boom, boom. And at first, he was kind of freaked out about it, but he's been doing great. And right. he's really, <laughs> but yeah, it's, a, it's a, just an incredible story. And, and, and that started a trend of a bunch of these bands that they've lost their singer. They turned to the tribute band. So right. that's what Yes did a few years after that. That's what Boston did. But, but why <laughs> is this timely now? I guess maybe we but should back Judas up. didn't Priest do it first? Or was that just in All the right. movie? No, no, in real life they did, yes. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I guess that Judas Priest in the 90s, they got Tim Ripper Owens, yes, who was right. in an Akron band that played a bunch of Judas Priest yeah, songs. So, so not, not to You're correct right. you, but to totally right. correct you. Uh, <laughs> Judas Priest. Well, but that was like 10 years ago, and it didn't yeah. work out that well, and Halford came back, uh-huh. and, and, and they were playing clubs. Right. Nonetheless, nonetheless yeah. but yeah. But yeah. that was, I, I think maybe that was Brian's the first time we really took notice of like, oh, wait, you can do that. You can actually, if you're a band with a legacy, you can hire this guy who really knows your songs or girl, yeah. Yeah. Right, and it's obviously so compelling. They made a, that movie with Mark yeah. Wahlberg, Rockstar, right. based on that story. But right. uh, but the, the well, lead but, singer transplant is this yeah. thing. It's like a it's like a head transplant. Yeah. Right. Like, it's like basically insane. You're like it's like walking around. It's like oh my head just got cut off. But like why <laughs> yeah. die? Why not yeah. just slam a new head where that head and was? It and shouldn't just hope be it possible, but it sometimes be, it is. Sometimes it works. But why is this timely now? I just yeah. want to back up a second. Yeah. Why are we talking about well, this? Well, a few things. The main one is that ACDC, who had the most successful. You know, liked like singer transplant of all time, arguably, or at least the top three or whatever. That would be, of course. That was Brian Johnson for Bon Scott back in 1980. A few, about (laughs) two months later, they were back. It's a crazy thing. It was the same year that Black Sabbath got Dio. So 80 was a big year for new singers, these rock bands. But so Brian Johnson joined. They record Back in Black. That was 36 years ago, and now he's almost 70. And just to amplify what you said, definitely the most successful singer. Well, Van Halen was successful. We'll get to that. Genesis. We can argue about this later. Okay, there's there's a lot. All right. So anyway, but to continue your news update. So it's now 36 years later, and Brian is almost 70, and he's virtually deaf. They're saying and can't finish the tour. Well, that's yeah. what the band is. That's saying. Yeah, that's just, the band just to is be claiming. clear, bizarrely, yeah. he hasn't said anything. We, yeah. we don't know what's going he on. He said yeah. nothing. It's very weird. But in a bizarre press release, is this a release, Richard Simmons situation? Yeah, yeah. what he's being kidnapped or something? <laughs> I'm just wondering. Well, they were on tour and he was doing fine. Then all of a sudden, there's this press release and buried in like sentence 35 <laughs> of this very dry press release is the tour is going to continue, likely with guest singers, and they just present that as a very yeah. BT Dubs so, were getting like some other dudes. Yeah, same <laughs> yeah, for the yeah. band. So it's unclear yeah. whether he left or whether he was pushed out, but uh, ACDC but does not have. They, their, yeah. yeah, So this Brian is this Johnson. is the second time in their history they've had to get a new singer. And there's, what are they going to do? Who are the guest singers? Well, there be? are 
rumors that are very poorly sourced that could easily be wrong. Just to be clear on that, that Axl Rose has auditioned or has tried out with them and will be one of the guest singers. Axl Rose, who the three of us just talked about last episode, of course, Guns N' Roses coming back. Frankly, seems logical enough to me, his time constraints aside. Uh, You know, if there's a bunch of ACDC big name, why wouldn't they reach out to the biggest people? And, you know, sure, plausible to me. Uh, So so this might be a situation where Axl does one show or something. I mean, I'm just purely theoretical. Or, yeah, yeah. A few or, songs or on the show. Get, yeah, right. I think it's just a rotate. I think they're just going to get people rotating in and right. out and do it. I don't yeah. really understand how they yeah. they plan to pull this off. Well, they uh, have to pull off something because I mean, ACDC are a touring juggernaut. This is a huge tour, right? right? I mean, and they're right. playing enormous venues, and, and, and they yeah. just don't want to cancel. And so yeah, right. this this just shows, by the way, how hard it is to cancel a tour. They're like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a little confused as to why their insurance just didn't cover this, or right. well, that's what makes this. You know, it must be also their determination to go on. They're also, of course, down a guitar. Well, it's possible. Right. And a drummer, but it's yeah. possible that he flunked the physical or something. That's just pure speculation. But before every big tour, they have two physicals, and you know, so they, they weren't insured for him. Maybe yeah. yeah that's, so that's they would lose millions, and the road crew would lose their jobs. You know, it's a well, lot of people depending on that income. I mean, not, not to dwell yeah. on this, but I, Neil Peart yeah. from Rush told me that basically ever since. Uh, Keith had to cancel a tour for, for the Rolling Stones. The yeah. insurers have actually been really strict. Yeah. So I'm not sure they would have gone on the tour without insurance. But anyway, it's, it's, right. yeah, it's, it's hard to say. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's ruined it for everybody. Keith, yeah. Keith tends yeah. to, yeah. But um, what's not so ACDC is the last time they toured was all five members of the Back in Black lineup. And now they're down to two. Right. <laughs> they right. lost three right. people since the last tour. And most bands you would think would just, no matter what it would cost them, would just say, screw it, we're done. It's right. just, it is the power, again, of the brand name, though. Yeah. When your brand name is ACDC, you could possibly go out with Just no Angus. original members, as well, as which does happen in well, some cases. Well, interestingly, yeah. I mean, like <laughs> yeah. as Roger Waters found out decades ago when when he thought that he could leave Pink right. Floyd Great and continue point. going as yeah. Roger Waters, when in fact David Gilmour, who didn't sing as many songs but was right. able to continue. As, as yeah. under the name of Pink Floyd. The, the name, name is more important often. The name is important. It helps if you have your own brand like Slash, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, right. right. And anyway. with ACDC, I think that they've made Angus like the figurehead of the band on the posters and the T-shirts. It's just Angus usually. Right, that so. helps too. But it's, it's. I mean, you know, Van Halen, I mean, well, another, and, yeah. Andy, you just yeah. recently yeah. talked to uh, one of the more famous replacement singers of all time yeah. and most successful. Right. I spoke yesterday with Sammy Hagar because today is the third year anniversary of 5150, his first album with Van Halen. It was their biggest album yet. You know, it was their first number one, right. and it was sort of the ultimate example of how a band with a really iconic and flamboyant frontman can just get a new guy and keep going. Right. He had some strong opinions about Brian Johnston. Yeah, he was sort of saying that he was pushed out and was kind of angry at the band, which was surprising. But he was also saying that he doesn't really like this trend of these singers that he called karaoke singers. You know, like what Journey and Yes and Boston have done. He likes the thing that they did with him was get somebody that's established that can bring his own spin to the band. All right, well, why don't we listen to what he had to say? Yes. So I see ACDC are going to finish their tour and use guest singers. Do you think that's a good idea? <laughs> I feel so sorry for Brian. You know, I've, yeah. been, had, I've been thrown out of a band and, and disrespected by a band myself. With, you know, the, the Van Halen thing was just, to me, mm-hmm. was just disrespectful. It was, mm-hmm. you know... And I feel sorry for him. I, I, I almost hate to comment because ACDC is maybe my top five favorite bands in history ever. Mm-hmm. I love them, both eras. 
and Brian's the sweetest guy in the world. I can't believe there must be something else going on. I can't believe they would do that. And uh, well, they say that he's going deaf and that he physically can't do the shows. Well, if he physically can't do the shows, I get it. Uh, he should. He needs to step up and say that then, so to save face because. It looks so ugly to me right now that I can't stand the thought that guys can do that to somebody. I mean, look what Def Leppard. They're the classic example of what you can do to be cool and to be right and to be honorable and to be, you know, soulful to your fucking bandmates and your family. You know, the guy lost his arm, and they waited until he got it together, and then mm-hmm. they went out. Now, that was honorable. Yeah. And you know, I don't think Rick can do quite as much with one arm as he could with two, mm-hmm. but they're doing just fine. And uh, to me, that's more humane. Yeah, I, don't, I doubt if they need the money. I doubt if uh, they maybe they could wait. But may, that's why I said maybe something else is wrong. I don't know. Yeah, they're but being really if Brian can't do the shows and he's physically unable. He should stand up and say, "I can't do here." Here I am telling people what to do, but. He should stand up and say that. So for a guy like me, who's such a huge fan, so I don't hate those other guys. Yeah. You know, I don't want to hate ACDC. I love them. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. So many bands tour now and have replacement lead singers they often find in tribute bands. You could look at Journey or Styx or Yes or Boston. There's so many bands tour now with new singers. It's crazy. Well, they do, but they don't do as well as they did. They, you know, the only one that I think kind of pulled it off the best mm-hmm was Journey, because they were way down when they got that guy. I mean, they, they yeah. weren't where they are now. And then they got that big, wonderful break with Don't Stop Believing on the Sopranos thing and yeah. all that. And then it becomes the number one downloaded song of all time or something like that. I mean, yeah. you know, that's quite the break. Uh, and, it, and, it's, and it put a whole new audience on them mm-hmm. that don't even know who Steve Perry was, never saw Steve Perry, and probably don't give a shit about Steve Perry. Right. So the, that help journey out a lot but that's that was a rare situation in general and i don't know replacing a singer with the with the karaoke guys interesting if you need to keep working mm-hmm. and if you need to make a living and okay you do what you got to do but if you don't eh, <laughs> you know right. and it just doesn't seem right yeah but you and brian and ronnie james dio before he passed you were living examples of that a band can get a new singer and and maintain all their popularity. Yeah, but you get a new guy that doesn't try to sound like the old guy and doesn't try, you know, like what I'm saying. Like right. I think you reinvent the band mm-hmm. when you get a new, a new guy. Yeah, you, you know. Though Brian Johnson had a similar voice to Bon Scott, it was a similar vibe. Yeah, he did, but he he had his own thing too, though. Yeah, you know, I mean, he really did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, bon had that high kind of, you know, that elfish kind of voice, and Brian had that fucking. I'm going to die every time I sing kind of voice. Right. It was like, but I, I don't know. Um, I, I'd say reinvent yourself if you're a legendary band, if you really have respect for your music and all that. But just to get the karaoke thing to me, is it's a little silly. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what, the guy in Journey, he does. I think he does a better job than Steve Perry could probably do right now. So, so they lucked out, like I said. But in general, yeah, it's kind of rough. Some people might accuse Sammy Hagar of hypocrisy here, but the fact is that he was uh, the lead singer of this band Montrose, who was actually a huge influence on Van Halen. Mm-hmm. He was already an established dude, so and they immediately began writing new songs and having new hits. Right, he wasn't right. just out there singing David Lee Ross songs, although he did right. from time to time. So yeah. I think you could probably, yeah, I think that's an excellent point, and yeah. you could probably broadly, you, you touched on this, you could broadly divide 
the two replacement singer yeah. situations into two broad categories. Where yeah. one, you have someone like Sammy Hagar who has a legacy. You have a singer who has a legacy and yeah. maybe brings something interesting and new yeah. to a band. And then you have the, just the full-on well, kind of more karaoke model, you know, yeah. real replacement singer. Then there's Genesis where they took their unknown drummer and made him the lead singer and hired nobody new and got even bigger. It's the Genesis uh, shuffle. Yes. It's known as, it's the rare that, move. It's the rarest rock and roll movie. It's an extremely that's, rare that's, move. That's the outlier <laughs> move. Yeah. The what, outlier uh, move. But are there any other examples successful? of people doing that successfully? Where you just have somebody else in the band become the singer? Well, I mean, you know, like it's not, I mean, Grohl... Sort of, uh, in the sense. Uh, no, I mean, but but yeah. it's not the same band, but it's, it's kind of like the, you know. Yeah. Carrying it's on the spirit. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about some of the younger examples. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, what's happening is a bunch of these 90s bands are now forced to do this. You have Stone Temple Pilots are now auditioning new singers via the internet. Right. And you have Sublime with Rome out there. Right. Sub- Sublime, whose singer yeah. Bradley Knoll, of course, died. Yeah, and their new singer ago. Rome is like 23 years old or something. Right. Um... You have Allison Chains has a new singer from a few years ago. And then even a group like Blind Melon, you know, they have a new singer also. You know, it's sort of when the, when the guy dies young, it doesn't give the survivors a lot of good options. Right, right. And th- well, and then you, of course, have – I almost put in a whole, totally different category. Yeah. We were talking earlier about hair metal. Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of these hair metal bands that have lost their lead singer or the guy's retired or something, you know. So there's this guy, Jizzy Pearl, that has – that's Let's managed, not repeat that name. I'm sorry to say <laughs> that name, but he's managed to be the front man for Quiet Riot, Rat, L.A. Guns, and Stephen Adler's GNR Tribute Act. How so, have, we, have we not pitched a story on this guy? Can I, I, we pitch it right now on it's this podcast? Like, yeah, it, it, hair metal is almost, it, yeah. it has like the richest tradition of replacement lead singers. Yeah. Right. It's, it's almost like, it's like it's a fantasy football model. Right? Well, Where you and do. of all the band members, there are many bassists that have been in like Great White and Rat and Quiet Riot. They, they just kind of transfer around. It's like sports teams almost. They just right. kind of trade around the top players all the time. So this guy, Pearl, is almost, yeah. like, he's, he's like the lead singer for many bands right. and yet no bands. Almost. Yeah, yeah. He's like trying to think of an analogy or something. Did, who, who sang, wait, so Creedence Clearwater Revisited, who was singing with them? They got the guitarist from the Cars. They got Elliot Easton to play guitar, which is really random. But I don't know who the singer is. He's some guy that sounds like John Fogarty. But well, the name is a little different. It's Creed's Quarter Revisited. And right. Didn't, didn't and then, Todd well, Rundgren sing with the car? Well, that, 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 that was, was a actually, new car. He was just actually on the Mark Maron podcast right. talking yeah. about that. That was ill-fated because they got in a bus accident. And right. Elliot Easton got injured, yeah. and the tour well, uh, ended. It, it was of, it was ill fated yeah, before right, the bus no, accident. No, <laughs> no, 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 it was right, ill fated for their investment. It was I don't think they were. Insured. Yeah, I don't and, think their insurers were too good but, at that yeah. point. What's uh, a weird irony of that is I saw the actual cars when they reunited, and the new cars were better. The old <laughs> cars. This is. Yeah. I love the cars, but even they admit they were not a very good live act. And right. Rundgren brought new energy to it, and right. it's got no appreciation. But the new cars. They had something as a live act. He would have been more in the kind of Sammy Hagar model, I guess. And yeah, yeah don't, he's just don't a forget, mercy. by the way, Gary Sharon uh, fronting a Van Halen, which people yeah. literally forget all yeah. the time. Uh, but there, was, there was actually a Sharon. And it's the strangest thing because you can go on YouTube and see Gary Sharon was the dude from yeah. Extreme. Uh, Ga- Gary Sharon um, made Van Halen 3 with yeah. them. Uh, 
absolutely. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Eddie. Really terrible album. Um, and, uh, and I, I don't hate it. And uh, <laughs> you're crazy. And and I actually like this song where Eddie sings. That, that, oh, that's, about homeless people. Yeah, no, the I, first, I, I kind of think yeah, he's got like a Tom Waits thing going on. Yeah. That's my uh, best Van Halen song all the time. But anyway, <laughs> so you can go on YouTube and see Gary Sharon like singing both the Sammy songs and the and, and he would sing a bunch of David Lee Ross songs yeah. that I think Sammy wouldn't sing. You can see in their head uh, why this was a good idea. Right. Why they thought this is a good right. idea, but it seems like it's some from some parallel universe when you watch this show because it just didn't. It right, just, you it, know, it was were, maybe good in the room, not so yeah. good in the outside yeah, world, or just yeah. good nowhere. I'm yeah. not sure. It just <laughs> right. he, he tried manfully, but it just didn't work out. Right. I, I even full props for trying. Yeah. He sings a lot better than David Lee Roth sings now. You know, I think Sharon was. It was. The right guy at the wrong time. <laughs> and for those people who are worried about what Nuno Betancourt, the extreme uh, guitarist, did after that, Andy, he went on to... He to, was in Rihanna's band for a long time, still but is. he's I not thought, on this oh, tour. No. He's not on this tour, apparently. He's on some superstar like guitar tour, and he's back in extreme. Okay. Yeah, I think, I'm glad I, we, we yeah. sorted that out. Yes. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> a, a bigger and interesting overall point is just sort of like, how important is the lead singer to bands? And I think it varies, and it depends on the singer. And it's, it's sometimes I think that Eddie Van Halen, for instance, has always struggled with this idea. It's like, man, the band's called Van Halen. I should be able to basically have anyone right. sing that yeah. I want to be singing. And it's like a little bit true in that he, he was proven right with Hagar. Right. But in the end, it's, it's, just, it's just such a hard thing. Right. It's, right. It's, especially, but. and I think that, you know, the Stone Temple Pilots guys is an interesting example because they've had multiple singers. People don't realize this or, or have forgotten, yeah. but they, they've had at least two other bands that are just Stone Temple Pilots with other singers because and Scott, poor, poor late Scott Wallen was very difficult. And then right. there was Chester yeah. Bennington briefly. Right. Yeah, and then I mean, and, oh, I mean, I guess you're right. I mean, the bigger point is, you know, there are lots of Eddie Van Halen fans out there, but unless you are a real guitar head, you you, you can mimic someone's guitar style, you can mimic yeah. someone's you know tone. You right. might not get it right, but everybody can recognize a voice. Yeah. Everybody but knows. But the often flip, that's the thing that people respond to. But the flip side of all of this is Santana, right? That it's just one guy's last name, same as Van Halen. He's probably had like ten different lead singers more, and no one knows or cares. Right. <laughs> they right. go to the show, they hear all the songs, and they don't even know or care. I think you know if Van Halen could do a supernatural style album. That, that would be the, that <laughs> would uh, be a, a probably smart, kind of branch a smart, and, yeah. smart thing to do. You know, there's also, of course, the the lead singer switch kind of thing when you had when you had Wylan fronting Velvet Revolver and yeah. you had Chris Cornell fronting Audio Slave. Like, I, I, that, that that's another move. You know, yeah, and a whole new band. They get all tangled it, up sometimes. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a we're going to spend the next episode just coming up with ideas for the Van Halen Supernatural. That, that's record. Yeah. That, that's yeah. a good. I think Stay that, that could be a series. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> okay, Brian Hyatt, Andy Green. I think we might leave it at that. Okay. Thanks for coming in, guys. No problem. Thank you. Can I kick it? In my tribe that flows in layers Right now Fife is a point sayer At times I'm a studio conveyor Mr. Dinkins would you please be my mayor You'll be doing us a really big favor And that was Can I Kick It by A Tribe Called Quest Featuring the great Fife Dog A.K.A. Malik Taylor Who just passed away last week I'm here with Rolling Stone news editor Jason Newman To Look at some reader mail. We got a lot of reader mail uh, about Fife. Jason wrote the obituary for Fife on Rolling Stone.com. 
Thanks for coming, Jason. Thank you for having me. First of all, let's just, you know, I want to look at some of the reader mail. People were just emotionally affected by this loss. I'm just going to read a couple examples of the comments we got on the site. You know, five to five footer, thanks for being my personal soundtrack through the 90s. My entire time in the military salute. That's from T-Zone 6. And a reader named Oscar, what a truly sad day this is, not just for hip-hop, but for life in general. Uh, For me, Fife Dog and Q-Tip have been my go-to since the early 90s. Can you talk a little bit about him and his life and his role in Tribe Club? Yeah, absolutely. It was a really, I mean, it was was a pretty devastating loss, I think, you know, for hip-hop in the sense that Tribe Club Quest is one of the most beloved groups to this day in hip-hop. For people who don't know them. We heartily encourage you to check them out. They're from <laughs> yeah. the late 80s or very tail end of the 80s, right. post De La Soul, early in, 90s. Into 98. Uh, into 98. Five albums, an easy catalog to go through. And their, their classics were kind of, you know, in the early uh, early 90s, right. low-end theory, Midnight Marauders. Exactly. I think one of the big things that people really gravitated towards was the counterplay between Fife and Q-Tip. Right. You know, these are two guys who have been friends since literally two years old. Right. Um, Fife had a very high-pitched nasally kind of voice. Q-Tip had a little more of a more of a mellow kind of flow, esoteric lyrics. Right. Um, yeah, so- I mean, Fife's voice was hard to describe in a way that, you know, it's like it was kind of like scratch, like really cut through the noise. It right. was a perfect, you're right, it was a perfect compliment. It was a great to, compliment. And yeah. Chris Lighty really said it best in, a, in the documentary they made, uh, Michael Rapport made. He said that uh, Q-Tip took them on Pluto and Fife was the one who brought him back down a little to, to the moon, to right. a level of human understanding. Right, you're And right. so the, the playoff, I think people really thought the playoff of that was really gravitated toward, towards that. Right, Q-Tip, uh, you know, he called himself, or still calls himself, the abstract. He, like, right, you know, right. the, especially on their first album, there's a lot of kind of, like, native tongues, de sure. la soul, hippie hip-hop, kind of like, Absolutely. you know, like, outre, journeys into outer space, right. people's instinctive travels and, through the paths of rhythm was the name of the, <laughs> exactly. and, and, and Fife was, was like, the, but Fife was like the, the B-boy. He like, was the every man you know yeah. he was the guy who was talking about being five feet obviously five foot assassin he was the right. guy talking about being five feet and being a diabetic you know on records he wasn't right. the guy you know there was obviously brag rhymes of course right but he was the guy not that, a lot of people were bragging about being diabetic right exactly time, right? he was the guy that i think a lot of people really could relate to and be like you know he a lot of people felt that you know he was one of us right like you could be in right. a room with him and what you saw was sort of what you get there wasn't any sort of bluster or right. sort of rap star or rock star bravado and, and maybe it also says something about that time in hip hop too i mean it was still pretty young and and there there was like a place for a 5 foot a, a, a little man uh who was not did not have model good looks right. uh who was just, you know but was super relatable it was not image really driven at all like you know i talked to Fife you know last as late as last november you know and he was was in his mid 40s and it was the same guy it was just the same you know very genial very affable he was extremely well loved in the industry right. you know obviously he had there was a lot of fractiousness within the group um, which is a whole other story but there was a lot of ups and downs with the group but yeah he really just had that friendly affable vibe and I think you know people when you see the outpouring of this on social media a lot of people that you wouldn't expect like Jenny Lewis and Best Coast among obviously a ton of rappers were really you know were RIPing him and were really affected by it right by I mean, he had that thing that like a lot of great artists have, where you really feel like you know them, even if you don't really know them. And right. it's not like he did a lot of press or anything. And mo- people right. outside the industry knew that he was affable or anything. And honestly, made, after yeah. 1998, yeah. he didn't really record a ton of stuff. He had one album. He had a couple of guest appearances, but right. I think in those five albums, he marked his place so indelibly that even you know 18 years later, after Tribe's last album, people still are quoting to this day his lyrics. 
there was that excellent documentary you mentioned, Michael Rappaport. Uh, he, we also encourage everybody to check out the documentary on Tribe Called Quest yep. called uh, Beats Rhymes in Life. Beats Rhymes in Life, yeah. which is excellent. It is about the relationship between Fife and Q-Tip. Right. One other aspect I, th- I think of Fife, which is so great, is like just his trajectory. I mean, he really announced himself on that second Tribe Called Quest album. He right. appeared on the first album, right. People's Instinctive Travels. Uh, but then with Low End Theory, I mean, I remember at the time, and Questlove wrote in, on Instagram about uh, how everybody who was a hip-hop fan was really, like, taken aback by how much Fife improved. Specifically, the the song that he really announced himself was uh, Buggin' Out. And we'll, we'll play a little bit of Buggin' Out right now, that, that first verse, which is, like, one of the great, like, opening lines in hip-hop, I think. Yo, microphone check, one, two, what is this? The five-foot assassin with the roughneck business. I float like gravity, never had a cavity. Got more rhymes than the one that's got family. No need to sweat our city. Questlove in the same documentary talks about that yo. You know, the first word he right. says is yo. And he compares it to when NWA busts through uh, the I Have a Dream, the big poster of I Have a Dream. Right. Um, in the video. Um, and it Here re- I am. Yeah. It really is like, it's a total, like, it's one of the best opening shots. You know, the microphone check one, two, what is this? Yeah. Um, it really just left a mark with so many rappers now who, when they were listening, going, holy shit, you know, what the hell is this? Right. Um, and this is the guy, you know, he was on, like, maybe four songs of people's instinctive right. travels. He was on, like, one of the of Tribe Called Quest's biggest hit, Can I Kick It, which we played a little bit earlier. But, it was like, his rhymes were kind of sing-songy, pretty simple. And yeah, then, he, you he know. He hated his voice on that. Right. He absolutely hated it. He said, you know, I remember he, he was he was telling me uh, the, the Mr. Dinkins line, especially, when he says, Mr. <laughs> Dinkins, can you please be my mayor? Right. And he says in a very, like, Mr. Dinkins. <laughs> and he, he was so. He's talking about David Dinkins, David who became Din- mayor of New York. Mayor he was up for election. At and that time. so he yeah. said that he hated it, but he was obviously so happy right. that it left at least a little bit of a mark. But right. then, you know, when the second album comes out, when Low End comes out, all of a sudden, you know, he's now a permanent member. Uh, he wasn't going to be, and now he's a permanent member of Tribe. There's something, uh, there's something kind of amazing, too, like in this era of like, you know, all right, trap music and like Southern hip hop and like such like. To think back of, like, about a rapper saying, Mr. Dinkins, will you please be our mayor? It's like, or, it's a pretty non-hip-hop he, they, line you know, they were very big, through the you filter know, of 2016. Obviously, there's a very, very famous but it's, line. it's great. Yeah, yeah, there's a very famous line where, he, where that references Siemens Furniture, and if and most hip-hop fans know the line. But Siemens Furniture was a very regional, yeah. New York, yeah. local thing. I'm sure people in Atlanta had absolutely no idea what that meant. Right. But he was very cool to shout out, you know, Queens right. and shout out New York. So it was, it was, it was like the end you know? of that, like, yeah, golden, you know, age of. Uh, New York hip hop, where people just shouted out just local stuff, right. like Bismarck Key talking about the Albee Square Mall in Brooklyn, <laughs> right. and that was just and, what and you that, did. I, I think yeah. that sort of just lent to that sort of that everyman vibe that it was like yeah. kind of one of us that kind of came into it. Q Tip always felt that, not to borrow a word, he always felt a little abstract. He really did feel a little like distanced, I think, right. from people. But I feel like, you know, Fife was always that guy that you could relate to, and I think that's right. why people are taking this loss. You know, he died of, of diabetes, of complications of diabetes, right. and I think something he struggled laws. with, and that that's definitely covered in that in Beast Rhymes and Life the right. movie. Yeah, yeah, and they went on years. tour mostly a lot of it to defray the medical costs. Right, you know, to he was going through some shit, and he had to pay for the medical costs. So that's you know they made money on tour. Right, so it was kind of it, you know it's a it's a 
tragic story. Right. Well, it's a sad day. And I would say, but at the same time, I feel like, especially like in the post Kanye West era of hip hop, people are definitely appreciating a lot of that early nineties kind of, we used to call it backpack hip hop, you know? Well, I think, you know, I think Kanye now, a lot of people forget that Kanye's idols were large professor and Pete Rock and tribe and Prince Paul. Like that was the kind of post De La Soul era. Yeah. That was who Kanye loved also. So I'm sure he's affected as well. I'm sure. All right. Well, Jason, thanks for coming on. Sure. No problem. And that's it for Rolling Stone Music Now. If you like what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes or uh, even subscribe. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Should we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.